welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. And we are live. And welcome to Damonosophy 2.0. I have with me today Michael W. Ford. Michael is a left hand pass spiritual entrepreneur. He's the founder of the Luciferian Apotheca, founder of the Greater Church of Lucifer, and he has written numerous books on Luciferianism, occultism, and the left-hand path. Michael W. Ford, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's awesome to have you here, man. It's like been it's been way too long, and I'm so glad that we're finally getting around to this. Definitely, definitely. I remember in the early days of Asmodeus X, and uh, I know we played a show together, and uh, yeah, we used to talk all the time back in in those days. It's it's great that this is finally uh, kind of coming together. No, you're right, man. We used to play shows back in the back in the day, and um, I guess a lot of people might not know about this, but you and I both live in the city of Houston, Texas. And we did shows together back in the day, Psychonaut 75 and Asmodeus X. And could you remember the name of that place, that club that we played at? It was was it Engine Room? Engine Room. That's it. That's it. Man, I was going through it. You know, the years go by and I don't know if it's like uh, age or, or uh, Alzheimer's disease like kicking in, but I, I could not remember the name of that place. But I remember this. Black X Mass. Yes. 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 Oh, man. You know, I found about a year ago, I found the flyer, like the little pamphlet that I printed mentioning our bands. And I remember putting that. Uh, I thought I'd lost them all, but I found it. And I was so happy. And, you know, the engine room, the one thing I remember about that is that one of the members of our band messed up several things and the audio wasn't working right. And I remember ashes because I had put ashes all over myself prior to the, they went into my eyes as, as I was sweating and I should have known, Hey, don't do that. That's dumb. But I, <laughs> and so the pain was real. <laughs> you know? It was a great experience. Luckily it was actual pain. Yes. <laughs> Burning eyes, pain, I couldn't see, and uh, yeah, it was it was rough, but <laughs> I learned I never did that again. <laughs> yeah, I just remember moments. I remember moments of it, um, and you know, it's so weird. I mean, what year was that? Was that? Um, 2003, maybe? 2003, that sounds about right, and you know, it's, it's so I mean, you and I... Um, you know, last year we were at this Left Hand Path conference in, in Portland and we're going to be out there again and going out to things. There's 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 so much more of an actual, I guess you would say, an occult community uh, yes. out there, uh, a scene of people coming out that are that are into these like kinds of ideas. But I just remember from that show, I, I remember when we were doing that show, you know, kind of having this hope that that's like what 
you know, that that's the kind of people that would show up for it. But yeah. actually, I just remember like, you know, a lot of like, you know, rocker people and, you know, just the regular people that hang around at bars, you know, down in the, the midtown, midtown Houston kind of area, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a uh, interesting uh, period of time because, you know, when I saw you, when I knew you were at a place, I'm like, oh, that's my left hand path friend. You know, like I, we understood each other, yeah. but there yeah. weren't a lot of people, even though we had different friends, not a lot of people that were really understanding what we were, what we were both trying to do in our own way. And uh, yeah, so it was good to have that, that bond from, it was like a, a time of war. <laughs> no, <laughs> you <know>? absolutely. <laughs> it was, it was the time, it was the time of our, the times of our struggle, my brother. Yeah. Yeah. When we were young and carefree. Yes. Yeah. Blowing hair in the wind. That's right. We were young and full of beans. Yes. <laughs> Black magic beans. Yes. <laughs> so wait. So before that, though, so I, I, when I first met you, it was at some other place. Mm-hmm. Like a, a place that had like daiquiri machines in it. I think it was on Westheimer there somewhere. Sliders. Sliders. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, Dana Dark told me. Mm-hmm. There's this guy you need to meet and, you know, the temple set and he really is into left hand path. And I said, OK, cool. And she told me about the band. And when I hear Asmodeus, you know, that's like a I hear a bell in my head, you know, because that's a, a topic that I love and a subject that I love. And so, yeah, we met. I think we met in a noisy sliders, probably mm-hmm. upstairs. And uh yeah, yeah, that was that was a pretty cool time. And then there was numbers uh, when Carmenia, I think, used to run that. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Dana part time or something. Do you remember uh, Callie from Sliders? Yes, I I remember. I like it's it. You're taking me back because it's been so it's been so long, and the people that would go through there. Um, over the years, I mean, I still, if I'm ever in those areas, I might see one or two that I remember. Um, but overall, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I remember you had a, a band member, was it Brad? Uh, Probably, who, yeah. yeah, I met him uh, around that time too. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a very interesting period. And I think they closed that bar, didn't they? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it's not even there anymore. I think it became other things. And then, um, I don't know what it is anymore. Um, I actually, to be honest, haven't been down in that, that little like three block area of, of Westheimer, like right, right by that, that curve that, that, that runs around there. But you know what? Callie, Callie is an evangelical minister now. <laughs> right, and no for way. people that don't know him, we have to explain that Callie was a guy who had uh, just piercings all over, and had his face tattooed, and scarification, and all of that shit, a whole nine yards. And yeah. now he's a he's an evangelical minister. I can't remember where, it's some small town in 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 Texas somewhere. It's crazy. He evangelizes. Wow, wow! <laughs> Did didn't he work at a like? It was like a. A head shop type thing. Um, I, I don't remember what they were called, but they had a couple of them uh, in different areas. But I remember, like, I think he worked at one of those. Yeah. 
but yeah, that's crazy. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Bizarre. Well, Good times. But no, I remember that too. When, um, we met because we went to that sliders place, uh, because of, of Dana, because we knew Dana dark and she was DJing there and, and, and she was a central piece of the, the Houston, uh, gothic and occultish kind of scene, um, yes. you know, back in the day. And, and, and I remember when, when you and I first met and we started talking about, you know, cause this is, this is rare. I had lived in Houston, like maybe five years, I think up to that point. And, you know, I, I'd, I'd realized that from where I had come from, not everyone had really read all the same books that I had and was into the same things as to a deep an extent as I was. And then when you and I started talking, it was like, have you read that back? Oh yeah, I read that. Have you heard that? You know, are you familiar with black metal? Oh yeah, I'm into that, you know? And yeah. it's like, we just yeah. immediately bam, 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 all these things that we just like connected on. And I'm like, all oh, right, awesome. Someone else in Houston who I can talk to. You know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I had come across Dana originally when I had moved here, it was about six months after I'd moved here. I didn't know anyone. And, uh, she contacted me because I started the presenting these Luciferian things, these concepts. And she contacted me and said, Hey, I'm th that totally speaks, you know, to me. And she understands that. And so we met at sliders. That's when we first met. And, uh, then she started, Hey, you got to meet Paul and, and everyone like that. It was, yeah, it's great because we were very much few and far between in, you know, those areas. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was great. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of memories there. Definitely. So, so let's back up before that. Mm -hmm. Let's just back up before, before you came to Houston. I know you came to Houston at, at a certain point in time. What, how did you find the left-hand path? Well, let me go back to as an early child and before I knew what left-hand path was or anything like that, um, I had always felt a connection to the archetypes, the symbols of the devil, of demonology, vampires. And I don't know what brought that on. It's just always been something that I connect to. And, you know, as a child, I had a lot of challenging uh, situations growing up between my father, my mother, and uh, we moved a lot. And she was Christian. My father was not. So I got the God thing uh, pretty uh, between my grandmother and mother pretty heavily. But I never connected with that. And I don't mean that I didn't have morals or a sense of right and wrong. I, I truly had that. That's something you develop, whether you have religion or not. And I just felt that the symbols of the, the devil, the adversary, um, I related to those more because they were, it's thinking for yourself, having self-accountability. Even at an early age, you kind of get that. And, it, and it, I drew strength from that. Um, so when I was old enough, I originally had heard of, you know, you get those books, uh, what are they called, like, the old 70s books, they come in like volumes of 12, like uh, Strange World or um, uh, they were compilations and they'd have things on left hand path in them. And one had uh, the Church of Satan. And Wait, are you talking about like, um, are you talking about stuff like like Famous Monsters magazine no, or? No, they were um, 
they were occult books, but they were like uh, coffee table books. I okay. Mean, and um, like the research guides. Are you talking about the research I, guides? Kinds of. They're very general, though. Like okay. very general. A lot of art. Uh, one had Austin Osmond Spare on it. Uh, his art. Okay. And uh, so I'm looking at these things. And uh, I, I read about the Church of Satan. It was LeVay, but this was back, this was like 70s. This wasn't a current thing when I was discovering this. And I remember my brother, who's a professional drummer, came uh, home and he had told me, hey, he knew I was into like weird stuff. I was the weird kid. He was 14 years older. So, you know, he did, he was like, wow, he totally wasn't into that. But he had said, Hey, you know, this guy named Anton LaVey, he's uh, Satan's right hand man on earth. And he's telling me this when my mom's not looking, obviously, because my mother would flip out. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, I, that I connect with that. That guy sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. What a better job than that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, I get into metal and stuff. And the reason I get into metal was because I was into the concepts of the adversary. Um, I really, before that, I was learning piano when I was a kid and I wasn't cool at all. And, um, but then I find this and I start reading Crowley because in those days you couldn't go to like a new age store um, and find anything left-hand path. Mm -hmm. And if you mm -hmm. ask for it, they would give you the scowling look. And if you're lucky, a lecture on why you shouldn't be into left-hand path, which they had no idea what that was. They were just telling you what the TV tells them. And um, so I read some Crowley. I did not understand a thing of what he was writing about because I didn't get book four. That's the one you really should have if you're going to begin with Thelema because he really is – right on in that. But I got diary of a drug fiend, which, you know, I'm like, what's this have to do with Satanism? Yeah. Well, obviously nothing, but when you're a kid, it, you want that. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, it took a few years. Then I discovered, and I think it's a, a Walden books or something in a mall. Um, I found the satanic Bible and I bought it and, uh, I read it and I'm like, I totally get this. Um, it wasn't a stretch for me. It wasn't a, a big revelation either. It was like, I, you know, I, I get this. I was very interested in the magical side of it because in those days I wasn't sure what was real, what was not, and what the possibilities were within, you know, our kind of like casual world. And, um, yeah. And then it just went on from there exploring different, uh, things. But in those days, you know, it was really hard because you didn't have the Internet. Um, if you had contacts with anyone, it was usually through magazines and sending letters and waiting two weeks, getting a letter back. Um, but, yeah, it, it was worth it. You had to really work for it back then. Two weeks. No, you mean like more like a month or sometimes like two, three months. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that. You didn't have kind of the, uh, the people still complained. Like you go to occult, occult forums now, which I don't involve myself in. But if you go to those, there's this like bickering back and forth, this kind of like profane, just bad banter that doesn't really mean anything. And you used to have that back then, but it was usually with people that would call each other 
and you know you get these i don't know if you ever got them but i would have these people that i have contact with and we would trade things like magazines and books and it was always they'd call you and there's always one or two that would call and say hey man what are you into this week and they were always changing their like things of what they were into and i was kind of always like going towards this one thing that's what I discovered. So I never had any new amazing stories to tell them. Um, you know, and I did explore other things, but in those days it was very like information was scarce, mm-hmm. sparse. So. Oh, but, totally. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, I know we must've like talked about this before at some point, but I, I relate to so much of your story on this because, um, I discovered the satanic Bible also in the mall at a, I think it was B Dalton's where I was yeah. at in Lincoln, Nebraska. We had B Dalton's and mm-hmm. I was going there. I would go there once a week with my friend who was, uh, uh, Michael Myers, no relation to the movies. Uh, but we were taking guitar lessons at the music store in the, in the, in the mall. And, yeah. and we played D and D right. And so we'd go, to, we'd go to the, uh, the bookstore and, and it's absolutely true. I mean, no one gives a fuck about this anymore, but I mean, this is what they said in the satanic panic era is that D and D is a gateway to Satanism. Yes. And, and I'm oh, here to tell you that's true. It was, you know, I played D and D and I was most interested in, you know, the demons in it. And, you know, I got deities and demigods and I was interested in, in, um, you know, the, I, I found the Egyptian God set in there. That's the first time I saw yes. set. And, yeah. and, uh, Lovecraftian mythos. I was introduced to Lovecraft through there. So we were going to the, um, B Dalton's we'd go there like every week and like look for books. And it's like, well, we'd gotten all of the D and D books that were available, all of the second edition, you know, second edition player's handbook and monster manual. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then, you know, because I knew about Lovecraft, I'd gotten some love, I discovered Lovecraft there and I'd read some Lovecraft. And then we were getting interested in the occult and we were like, we were picking up like occult books from there, you know, like Sarah Lyndon Morris, modern witches spell book and you know, whatever bullshit was around at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's all this, like all this like white light stuff. Right. I mean the Wiccan stuff, it it was all very, very, very Wiccan-ish. And um, eventually one day there was this book there that was the satanic Bible. And we were like, Ooh, what's that? You know, and it's like you pick it up. It doesn't look like anything else on the shelf because it's dark. Yes. And it's got this picture of this guy on the back. Uh huh. And it's like, whoa. And it's like my friends were, we were all afraid to buy it. And I ended up going back later myself and, and, and buying it myself. And it was so, such a scary process going through buying it because, like you said, you know, you're worried that the, the guy at the counter is going to like give you a hard time about it. Yeah. But I bought it, and when I bought it, the thing that changed the game for me was the fact that there was an ethos to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that book had not just, it, it, first of all, it talked about why magic should work, but it also talked about an ethos of why you're here, like like metaphysically as a human being, why you're here on this planet and what our purpose is here on this planet. And, you know, Anton LaVey had this, you know, idea of indulgence and that's why we're here and you're here to enjoy life. And you're fundamentally, you know, humans are fundamentally good at some level. He says that. And, um, and I'm like, wow, this is the shit. And you know, that's, that was it for me. I was like left-hand path from there on out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, before I had got the satanic Bible, 
actually the book that I had found that I started messing around with was the Necronomicon. Yeah. And of course the book is, is total shit. Um, but it's a good read. It, you know, it's fun. But when I was a kid, I didn't know that it wasn't a grimoire. I had no framework for how things work, history, you know, metaphys uh, metaphysics, all these things. So I said, Hey, let's do this. So a friend of mine who was my first guitar player, his name was Shane. We were up in the top. Of, he had a room in his like attic that was turned into a bedroom in Indianapolis. And we would sit up there and light a candle or whatever kind of candles we could find. They usually weren't black because they were hard to find then. And we would sit there and do rituals out of them, believing everything that we were saying, this was real. And I remember we had this, there was no one up. It was in the middle of the night. And on the other side of the wall, there was this pounding, just like, like it, there was someone right there doing it. And what I discovered, I didn't know it then, but later on, what I discovered was, wow, if that's a fake book and we're doing these rituals out of it, then somehow we have to be affecting that. So it's the will, desire, belief thing. So then when I got the Satanic Bible, that was was really a game changer because it it levels out everything it gives you a basis and i i think still today that is a great go-to and it's still valid it's so you know it's old and the concepts you evolve and go into different areas but man that's still something you can go back to and no. it's not outdated 100 percent, dude and he it's because he explains in that book why you can do uh, rituals from the uh, Necronomicon and something happens, yes. right? And but but then later on you find out the Necronomicon isn't really anything. This is just written by some jackass like a few years ago, right? It's not actually like Lovecraft's like thing. The reason yeah. is because magic comes from within you. And Anton, he says that in that book. He just he explains that in that book. That's where magic comes from because before that, you're reading all these things thinking, oh, it's like about like I have to say these words right or, you know, I have to have all these materials. And it's frustrating because you're a kid in the suburbs and you're like, I can't get I can't get fucking goat skin. I can't get like, you know, some quill blood to write. You know, I can't get all these things. I couldn't even get black candles. You mentioned black candles. Oh, my God. It's like the only place that I even knew to like look for candles was Hallmark. There was a Hallmark store like down the street where I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they didn't have black candles. So no. at first I'm like, at first I'm like, fuck, I can't even do the satanic rituals because I can't get black candles. And eventually I realized, stop whining, you little pussy. Just use like whatever candle. Just use red candles. It doesn't fucking matter because magic yeah. comes from within you. When I was little, I took a. We thought had this great idea of taking a sharpie and trying to color the white candle black. Obviously, it didn't work. <laughs> And, you know, it's just things you do when you're a kid and necessity, like you feel like you need this, so you're going to make it. And um, I, I went to the, it's called Worlds of Wisdom. I still remember it. It was in Indianapolis. It might still be there. I'm not sure. But I would go in there and no LeVay books. They only had the, the Crowley books that he wrote probably when he was on heroin. So they weren't, you couldn't get anything out of them. They never had magic book for in theory and practice, mm -hmm. they had all the stuff that you don't want to read. Right, uh, all the nonsense. 
Yeah. yeah. So it's like, and then the candles, I remember those, they had blue, like pink, purple, all these things that, you know, I don't want that. I want black. Mm-hmm. And if you ask them about it, man, do they give you the, you know, like you shouldn't be into that and you know, you should look into this or that. And, yeah. yeah. So totally LaVey's Le- work, you know, even though, and this is what I try to point out to people now in is that he encouraged his writings, encouraged me to take like you go to the Grand Grimoire, you go to Grimorium Verum. All of these are written from a Christian bound foundation. So when you're doing these in the like the Adonai and you're calling on on these names of God, you're like telling your subconscious that you are subservient to some greater deity, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever. And it's self-defeating because that's bound in original sin and all this like dogmatic, like garbage. So LaVey's work inspired me. Well, let's rewrite these from a left-hand path perspective and try it Mm -hmm. because I tried it in the traditional way. And I just, it was very like unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you change it up and you make it uh, align with your, your will, desire, belief, you'll get results. And that's what really empowered me, I think. No, absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, I went through a period before I before I found, like, you know, legitimate left-hand path sources like the Satanic Bible, um, you know, working with, uh, you know, grimoire stuff and goetic magic and doing demon summoning yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like, you always have, when you're doing that, I mean, the way those things are written is that you are like, you know, you're, you're using some, um, obscure technology to call forth some, uh, super, uh, natural force to have it go do something for you that basically you don't have like the balls or the will to do yourself. Yeah. Right. And and you're like using this, this, this entity, like as a slave to go do, do shit for you. And what the left hand path says is like, a, no, you have the power. You should just, you should just, you know, be, be a man and, and, and go forth and do it yourself, right? Call up the energy within yourself. And if you're calling up these other influences, you call them forth as a brother and friend, right? Yes. You don't make a magic circle to protect yourself from them. No, mm. you call them right up and say, yeah. hey, let's like, you know, actually, you know what? Show me what is important. Help me discover what is really important, what I really do want to do. And that's where you start to cross the line from mm-hmm. uh, basic um, spell casting and sorcery, right? And and Anton LaVey, uh, t- you know, he, he made this um, distinction between like lesser magic and greater magic, um, which was later, I think, uh, you know, elaborated on much more, um, uh, you know, succinctly with greater black magic uh, by uh, Michael Aquino. But the idea is there that like magic is not just about like, you know, sorcery and spells to like, you know, I want this, I want that, but no, it's about, I want to change. I want to become something. I want to become something greater than I am right now. Yeah, for, for sure. You know, with the, the early ways of like goetic sorcery, you know, it tells you, you've got to have this tin or this certain metal inscribed at the certain hour. And a lot of times, you know, I was like, I was in school at that time, or at least in, in school suspension. So you couldn't do that. And then you start doing things on your own and you realize that, you know, my perspective was that these goetic demons, these spirits were 
energy uh, aspects that you could call within yourself. That doesn't mean, uh, and I want to point this out, that I'm not saying there's an atheistic or theistic view. I'm, it depends when you're performing magic, however you connect naturally, whatever your, your natural instinct is, go with that. And when you do that, you're going to see changes. It's not something you're telling to go do something for you. It's it's more like a give and take, like my success is your success and we're as one and uh, kind of like putting on a mask, like a deific mask or something uh, or adopting a, a God form. Um, you're gaining access to energies and those things within your subconscious from outside also. And it's a connection. It's a bridge. And, you know, I think that's the really positive thing is that you're doing it yourself and you're pushing yourself because you think about it, if you look at the adversary, whether it's set or any other form, that uh, energy doesn't, it motivates, it challenges, it, it can destroy, it can diminish, or it can totally empower depending on how you approach it. And so it's got, you can't submit to anything, it has to be a give and take, a mutual admiration and a respect um, that you demand back. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't do that, um, you know, you're not going to get very far. And so, you know, it, it kind of takes that type of mentality. And um, over the years, I've mentioned this before, I, I think off camera was that there are certain people um, you know, I thought for a while that with the greater church of Lucifer, that uh, even though we're just presenting the philosophy, that people are really going to get this. And uh, it would bridge a lot of different uh, areas of the left-hand path and bring a, a cooperation. But what I found was, was that either you are of the left-hand path naturally or you're not. And there's not really a way for someone to learn that it's got to be within you. And I'm not saying that from like, it's an elitist thing. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but you're either that way or you're not. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I'm sure you have had this experience when someone asks you about left-hand path topics, you explain them and you think you're really connecting and you're explaining it well. And then the next week you can tell that they still don't get it. And that was so frustrating for me, but it brought a lot of insight to kind of gain that because if not, I would have gone through still thinking I can do this and that when in fact, you know, it's, it's better that I'd learned that. So. No, you're, 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 you're definitely like onto something there. And, you know, Anton like talked about this um, when he said, you know, if you're a Satanist, you're born that way, right? Satanists aren't made. They're like born that way. Um, and then there's, you know, the, 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 that, that brings up all these other questions. Like is what well, you're saying? There's like a genetic thing with it. What does that mean? But you're right. It's like people who discover the left-hand path, they're discovering something that was in them already. People who like, uh, you know, move forward in this, in, in this direction, you know, um, you know, the SETI in the SETI system, they talk about the elect, Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the set like seeks, seeks his elect and none other. And what is what does that mean? Election? Is there a, a form of like self-election? But mm -hmm. it's a process of discovering what was within you already. 
and and people who who don't get it who aren't down with it they're they're just no they're never going to be down with it you know they just really aren't and so that's why you know uh, and and you know left hand path um you know people since the beginning you know that i like to say i like to say this term the the founding fathers of the left hand path and mm-hmm. and and when i say that i'm thinking of like you know, uh, I'm thinking of LaVey, I'm thinking of Aquino, I'm thinking of kind of Crowley, and I'm thinking of probably a bunch of other people, too, that we don't know their names, but they were around in the 60s and 70s and contributed to uh, this movement. And mm-hmm. and and that what what has been happening is there has been a collection and a or a recollection and a kind of reawakening of people who are who are going this direction and everyone has always had this idea of, well, we don't convert because every, you know, every right-hand path system, um, you know, monotheistic system has this idea of, we have to like convert people and, 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 you know, wake, wake them up and stuff like that. And it's like the, the left-hand path has always been, you know, no, we, we can't really do that. You you actually cannot do that. It's not actually, it's actually not possible to do that. People have to awaken themselves and we can go and, you know, put our things out there, you know, like, I mean, like, like, like you have done, uh, to a tremendous level with all of your books and, and, and probably everything you put out there, you can put these things out there, but you can't, um, you can't change people because people have to change themselves. An individual has to change themselves willfully, consciously, intentionally, and, yes, uh, all those. They things. have to have seed, a seed of that in there, uh, at least some kind of foundation to where, when they read something like the Eleven Points of Power or, or any type of Setian material or Levian material, you read those things and you either have that in you already, and you could recognize the subtleties, or it's just not something you can wrap your head around. And then it's it's better just to go and do something else. And I've come to kind of understand over the years that, you know, there is this level of like, hey, the the imagery is cool and I like. And then you have the book collectors, the people that like to buy books just to say they have it. Not really maybe into it that much. It's more about, I guess, the aesthetic of it, the idea. And then you have the people that really do it. And those are the people that I've always that I like connecting to, because then when you meet them, when you have contact with them, you understand, wow. And, you know, the other thing is you have to do this alone. Um, even though you can have, you know, I'll speak about this in a second, but initially it has to come from you. Uh, you can't have somebody pushing you along. It, the drive has to be there and the ability to trust your instincts and push yourself further than you thought you could at different levels, of, you know, in, in time. And as you do that, that's where you can build that inner, what I call, for lack of a better word, a faith. Like when you validate something, when you get results, when you build a momentum, you have a faith in yourself. Um, and it doesn't mean an ego the size of a, a house. It just means that you know that you can attain things, that you can do what you want to do by yourself. You don't need protection or, or a bunch of people telling you, yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. It has to come within you. And when you do that, then when you meet people, like uh, I'll give an example. I'm naturally a kind of introverted person who doesn't, I'm not very social. So when we went to that event last year, 
uh, the Black Flame last year, um, it made me realize something. You, you said in your presentation about the synergy and um, sharing ideas and the collaboration that real left-hand path people can have. And yeah, sure enough, you were uh, totally point on. And, and it was great to have that sharing because um, you understand that there are other people like you and um, the kind of ideas it, it inspires. Uh, I got a lot of inspiration and and it's just that sharing of, of ideas. So it's nice to have because then there's no like bickering about my, you know, this is better than that. Or, you know, it's, it's kind of people who actually practice magic coming together. No, absolutely, man. I think, I think you're right, right on point there. Um, the, 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 the nature of the left-hand path is that every individual like goes forth and presents what they have. Like some people like, you know, will respond to this and they'll say, well, no man is an Island. You know, you've got to have, you know, you've got to like work, you know, with other people. And it's like, no, I, I understand that. No, I get that. I get that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying by the left-hand path and that the individual is sovereign. I'm not saying yeah. that, oh, you can't work with anyone else. I'm saying that any kind of work with other people must be voluntary. And really yeah. the, 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 the defining aspect of this is volunteer, voluntarism versus coercion, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and this is what makes the left-hand path different from the right-hand path is that we do not believe in coercion, right? I mean, and, and this is why, why I will always call Crowley a founding father of the left-hand path because the law of do what thou wilt the the word of Thelema says this that every man and every woman is a star your will is yours alone and no you don't have to worry about oh well what if like we then, but then we're going to have arguments with each other and and so someone has to come in and make sure everyone like gets no no one has to come in and make sure everyone gets along what happens is if we both practice our will. Perhaps we will intersect, and then we'll have a conversation about this. And maybe we'll have a disagreement about it. Maybe we'll even get into a fight. But that's that's how things work, right? That's that's how life goes. And what we don't have on the left-hand path is the idea of coercion, that everyone has to be forced into doing a certain thing. That's what the why the right-hand path is different. That's what they practice on the right-hand path. Mm -hmm. You're in this religion. You're forced into it, first of all. You, yeah. You're raised up in it, right? As a child, you're forced into it. You're not, oh, and, 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 and you don't have a choice. So from right there, the whole thing is like based on uh, coercion and no, no respect for individual will. And that's the difference right there. That doesn't mean that you and I can't work together. I can't work with people. We can't cooperate. We can't work together voluntarily. I mean, come on, millions, billions of people a day work together voluntarily to achieve, you know, common goals of, I'm going to work together with these people. You know, if I work at McDonald's, I'm going to voluntarily go work with these people to make fucking hamburgers for people who want to buy hamburgers. We're going to work together on this and we're all going to make money off of it. And we'll all yeah. like go home happy, you know, mm -hmm. or in theory. And you mm -hmm. know, that's the thing about, uh, you know, so the greater church of Lucifer, when, when that was opened, um, it was really to, it was kind of a working, a very intense working for myself because I had to come out of, I had to not be introspective in those hours that I was, you know, or, or like an introvert when I was in that building. I had to be a person that gave answers, that had conversations with every walk of life that you can imagine. 
And we kept that open for one year. And I gained so much um, from self kind of refinement and, and growth in understanding in a public experiment like that, how, how the left-hand path should be uh, projected and uh, projected to people introduced and uh, the things you don't want to do. And also that um, you've got to be willing to deal with all types that are not going to understand what you're trying to convey, even though you print it as simply as you can and you explain it and other people of a like mind explain it. Um, I'm glad that that experience happened. Um, but after that year, when they refused to sign the new lease because she was the landlady was her life was threatened many times. And, you know, we were threatened, too. But you expect that when you're going into that. But after that was closed, man, I was so happy um, just to do what I do now um, and really focus on that work. Um, but, you know, with religion, when it comes to Christianity or any kind of monotheistic religion, you're brought up with this guilt that, you know, there's something wrong with you and that you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to expect it in your heart. Uh, just all these really like degrading things. And even for, if you look at, I never understood why my mother could be Christian because as a woman, you know, the Bible is not very friendly um, to women. Uh, and, you know, just the whole stories. And I think that's more of an ancient culture uh, thing with certain religions. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's hard to explain when it comes to, you know, when people just don't understand why you're presenting these ideas, yeah. you know, so. Well, Wilhelm Reich, I know we're both like fans of Wilhelm Reich, um, but but he explains this, that, that the reason people, well, his, his theory, the reason people grow up like that, like thinking, oh, I need to follow this religion. I'm a woman, but I need to follow this religion that hates women is because of uh, the indoctrination, right? And that happens at an early age. And it's tied to like all these things, like all these practices that we have, like, you know, that they basically amount to forms of child abuse. Uh, for men, you talk about circumcision and stuff like that, um, that you just grow up like, you know, just, just you, you just have it physically beaten into you to not ask questions, to be more concerned about the collective you know your your individuality is not more important than the collective um and 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 that we're just indoctrinated into it and that's the reason so yeah. it comes back to this idea of what do you the question is what do you think is the fundamental nature of man is man born essentially a good thing or is man born bad and evil and you know, the, the left-hand path side is that um, man is born essentially good. I mean, this is why LeVay talks about indulgence as being an, an aeonic, a logos, right? An aeonic-like yeah. principle because man's purpose is to enjoy life. He's fundamentally good. He's here to enjoy life. Whereas like um, Christianity... And, and Islam and, and, and these other forms of, of right-hand path teach that man is fundamentally bad. You come into the world, you're, you're bad already because of, uh, you know, like the doctrine of original sin says this. Sure. You're born bad already because you, have, because you have genitals. 
and you want to do something with them, you're, yeah. you're bad. And so you're born with a debt. Like you were saying, um, you know, you, you, you touched on this. You're born with basically a spiritual debt to some higher power. They own you from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And you're given free will, but don't use it for anything outside of what I want you to do. It's like um, passive aggressive, like ruling from above. Uh, if, if you take it and, and the threats are horrible, um, this is what's going to happen, uh, you know, and I, I think it comes to when you look at the ancient world pre-Christian, the concepts, you know, every city had a deity, a culture had different deities, but they were more connected with nature and the natural cycle. You had the ancestral bond uh, with you know, types of offerings to the dead in terms of food and incense and libations, prayers. And then because of the Roman Empire, uh, kind of uprooting all of the cultures that they took over, um, you kind of had this big vacuum left. And then Christianity started coming along. These, these beggars went from town to town telling you, the common people that, oh, this deity cares for you. And and so then Christianity, and you had Apollyonis of Tyana, supposedly Jesus, these different guys saying the same things at the same time, because it was kind of the cultural, uh, it was something happening. And then Christianity, uh, it's supposed to be this loving, uh, you know, anti-earth, we want to go to the Father in heaven thing to give people hope. Then it turned into, it showed its kind of true colors in a monotheistic tone to where we go to Rome and we start destroying the Roman temples, which makes Nero respond the way he responded. And you can look at all the different historical records. And I'm not talking about the Bible because that tells you one side. Uh, that's what they want to tell you. But if you look at historical documents, different like historians and what they write, and you kind of find the middle of the road with all that, you see a different story and you see how it started out as one thing. And I don't like how it started out the concepts. I just don't attune to it. But then it becomes this tyrannical thing that, that culminates in the inquisitions in the middle ages. And, you know, it's just a, the left-hand path kind of brings you in the center to recognize, Oh, well, yeah, I'm an individual and I'm selfish in nature. Everything everybody does, whether you're a priest, whether you're a, someone doing charity, there's a reward um, uh, component that comes into that. I like to do this, therefore I get a reward. And mm -hmm. the reward is the, the feeling of doing it or whatever that is. But knowing that, that doesn't mean you're a, a selfish prick that doesn't care about anybody else. It, it makes you more attuned to being nice in some ways oh, yeah. when you can be because you realize, well, you know, this is what I want and these people around me want this. So what's the middle of the road that can make everyone happy? Uh, or it doesn't always make everyone happy, but at least try to show consideration. When you can do that, that gives you more responsibility, more of a validation and result that, hey, I'm making decisions that yeah. are benefiting yeah. You know, so, as opposed to, uh, yeah. So one of the things that um, Ayn Rand would always get asked as people are like, like trying to like interviewers, like they'd try and get her. They'd say, mm -hmm. well, you're all into individualism and you don't believe in, in altruism and collectivism, but you 
like supported your husband because that's the thing. Like, you know, she like was the breadwinner of the family and her husband was a very, very mild guy. He was an artist, you know, and he didn't, and he's like, you supported him. So isn't that like, isn't that like altruism? That's collectivism. Right. And she would be like, no, because I love him. I voluntarily want to support him and we have our relationship. And that's what people don't understand when people try and like criticize individualism and and the same thing happens in the left-hand path they try and criticize like well you're not gonna like help your fellow man no no, i i i personally believe in helping my fellow man but i believe i need to do that voluntarily no one's going to tell me how to do it or who i should help i get to decide who i'm going to help you know yeah and often it's to well how can i help them in a way that they can in turn help themselves and help themselves out of whatever issue that is and you know you have to make that call and once you make that call you got to live with it and be happy with it and and that's something LeVay pointed on very early is don't do something um to help somebody and then complain about it basically uh right. when it tries to bite you because sometimes it does yeah um but yeah that's I, I think one of the key foundations in uh the left-hand path is is that accountability and it's such a simple concept that you should feel naturally if you're a left-hand path. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we, I remember when we had the protests outside of the church, um, how many people, uh, there was this guy screaming that we kill animals and cats and, you know, all this, that, that whole satanic panic thing. And, you know, we responded, well, you know, I've got four dogs and four snakes and I used to have a cat, but it died of old age. And, you know, I would never dream of hurting any of my animals. And I stop sometimes if I see a turtle crossing the road. I, it sounds funny, but I, if I can do it, I'll get out and move the turtle mm-hmm. or the snake. <laughs> you know, I do that more. Um, it's uh, I'm mindful of what is around me. And, and, you know, I think if you had more of that, um, you would have a better world in some ways. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, a lot of people love to be told what to do, what to believe in, and that fear of death or what's beyond that drives them. And, uh, you know, so that's what separates us, I think. Next, we need to back up again. Forget ahead of ourselves. We need to back up. So a few years back, I was watching the Channel 2 News here in, in Houston, and I saw you on there, man. And it was the greater church of Lucifer (laughs) and it blew my mind. I was like, Whoa. So can you tell us a little bit about what, 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 what happened there? What was that? Well, so a few years back, um, I had met at a 2014 left-hand path conference. I met a a guy named Jeremy Crow. Yes. And we, we hit it off. He's so easygoing and, you know, we just had a good time hanging out at the event. And he told me at the event, and he told Hope, uh, Marie, my wife, who's also uh, to be involved in this, he said, there's this guy in Houston who wants to start, or he's trying to put together this church. And uh, he seems okay. Would you kind of just talk to him? And so 
I said, yeah, yeah, okay. And I remembered who this guy was and I got a message from him and I, I automatically didn't like the guy. Um, and so I, I let it go. I didn't get back with him. But then I agreed to meet him because there was someone here named Gervas who I knew um, who had bought my books and was really actively involved. He said, hey, uh, you should meet this guy. So we went and met him. And I met this other guy there who I really liked. His name was Michael. And um, I wasn't crazy about the guy in question, but I thought, well, maybe, you know, he loves to do website stuff. Maybe he could make this work. And he's like, I started like these ideas, having meetings in my garage with your books. And so I knew at that time there were various people trying to take my books and make it kind of a religious thing, which I wasn't for um, in the sense that they were trying to, to push it. So I knew I needed to do something before somebody is taking what I'm doing and presenting it totally in the wrong way uh, or what, how I intended it. And so I said, okay, well, there were some demands that we had in control. Um, you know, we're, we're going to totally, we're not going to do the day-to-day -day stuff, but we're going to be right there to make sure it goes properly and is presented in the right way. And so it started and then it became, we need to have a building. I thought this would be great, but it can't be us doing black masses or what people think is a black mass. It can't be the normal magical aspect that I have in my grimoires. It has to be based on the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I had to really think about what are the core components that make this a philosophy and what are those without any magical kind of context on it. So we did this, this book called Wisdom of Eosphorus, which is now going out of print and a replacement is coming. But um, it really just presented the core concepts in a very basic way. We opened the building and a week before this happened, we were contacted by the Houston Chronicle. And, you know, I have done music things. Um, and, you know, we had some, I had some, uh, I guess, notoriety or 15 minutes with Black Funeral in the 90s. So, I kind of knew what to expect, except when it happened, it was mind blowing. And, and black and black funeral, just to just to interject, black funeral. That was a, a black metal band that you were doing in the '90s, right? Yeah, I, I still do it now, but it's more like musicians from uh, the members are in Australia. We send stuff back and forth. Okay. We do it on terms. I don't tour. I don't do shows with that. But okay. yeah, it was at that time, and so. Um, the Houston Chronicle, we, now when we opened the building, it was hard to get a building. We wanted to do something downtown like Montrose Westheimer, but the rent was just not, it wasn't going to happen. So we picked this place in Old Town Spring and automatically I'm like, this is, this is really probably not a good idea because if you've been to Old Town Spring, it's a nice place. It's kind of a laid back like antique shops, all kinds of things. There's like a magic store right there, a new age store. But we find this building and the lady that, that was renting it to us said, okay, and she didn't ask, what are you gonna put in here? 
but I, I asked the guy who was talking to her, I said, did you tell her? And he's like, no. I was like, well, let me talk to her. Because I knew if he told her, it would just come off like, it'd come off bad. So Hope and I, and Hope's very personable, and uh, we talked to her and mentioned, yeah, it's going to be called the Greater Church of Lucifer, but not that kind of place. You know, I had to throw that in there and explain it. And she was uh, not, she wasn't against it. She was just like, wow, okay, whatever, crazy kids. (laughs) And when we started putting the building together, uh, we did everything based on colors, based on elemental associations. It was all out. And uh, Hope Marie actually did a lot of the decorating. I'd give her the themes and she would just make it happen in a very aesthetically pleasing way. And we had the back room that was red and black to kind of balance out the blue and the lighter colors in the main building. And then we did this interview with the Houston Chronicle and uh, it went good. And uh, then all of a sudden, all of these news outlets started contacting us. And then our opening day, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, We were trying to go for a small little thing and it blew up and it was just like, okay, you're on stage right now and you can present this right now. And uh, it was a growing experience. I had a hell of a time doing it and it was a great responsibility, uh, you know, because you, you, you want to present this philosophy in a way that corresponds and that, that can elevate all of the left-hand path without saying we're the only left-hand path, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was more of a diplomacy. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think we did pretty good at that in trying to explain it. Um, But the thing was with all the protesters, the death threats and all that, none of that phased me. It was the, after a while, after the newness wore off, you get a lot of people coming in in all types of situations. And some of them are like demons are telling me to talk to you. Um, you know, what, uh, I had people asking me about their transgender. They were had transgender issues, so they bring those to me. And, you know, that's not kind of, that's not my area. And others say, should I stop taking my medication? And I tell them, no, see your doctor. And, you know, it's... It was a crazy situation, and uh, but I'm glad we did it. But yeah, it was it was really weird to go home and see yourself on TV because yeah. it's not something you set out for or expected. And I was like, oh wow, I got recognized, and I started getting recognized in the grocery store, and, which was really weird because I'm buying like paper towels iced tea, coffee, and some guy behind me says, you're Michael Ford, right? And so instantly, you know, you're like, oh, no. And you don't know what's going to happen. And you turn around, and then he's like, I love it, blah, blah, blah. But then you've had, I had the people that didn't love it. And the good thing is, with most left-hand path people, if a religious person comes up to you and starts trying to debate you, um, I'll debate on any factual things that I know of, any kind of rational, it has to be based rational, something you can validate, history, anything like that. But when you start talking about what God tells you, or they refer to the Bible, 
and they take a passage and they blow it up into something totally to fit their agenda, then I don't do well with that. I have to just shut that down immediately. I'm not going to debate you about what God is telling you, you know, because obviously that's not something I can interact with. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a crazy experience and time to go through. Wow. It's a, I, I know it had to be. I, I mean, and at that time period, it's like you and I, this is before you and I had like uh, met up again in, 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 in Portland and everything. And we hadn't talked for quite a while for a number of years. And um, I remember seeing that on television and thinking, oh, geez, you know, I, I was worried. You know, I was afraid I was afraid for you because of, you know, the, the, the kind of backlash because you could just tell immediately when you saw that on there. Oh, they're going to they're going to paint this with the most negative brush that they can, you know, and it's 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 not going to be it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy, you know, um, but I, I, I'm glad that I, I'm glad that you're here now. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, at, at certain times. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is, but you think, well, yeah, I could get shot. (laughs) You know, people were actually trying to damage the building. Um, right. There was vandalism, right? You had vandalism to the building, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we even actually had to install some cameras, uh, which caught the person throwing something through the glass. And, you know, it was a teenager, and, you know, I remember when I was a teenager, if I had a Luciferian church down the road, man, I'd be going there to help out. Oh, hell Not, yeah. <laughs> I'd be going there know, every day. Different times, right? And um, some of the things that, that we had to experience and just dealing with people, uh, it was just so, it was so surreal. And uh, the media, the reporters that, that we had following us around, we had people can I get the exclusive on this? Can I, you know, so one example is when we opened Houston press uh, wanted an exclusive and I've read Houston press for years and I thought, Hey, that's cool. I'll do that. So we had this guy who was with us from start to finishing point on the weekend. And I thought this guy really understands what I'm saying. Left-hand path. He gets it. And then I read the article and I get it. And, you know, they, they do this, they had all these photographers there and, you know, it's just part of the presentation thing you have to deal with. And, uh, you know, it was fun, but then I read the article and this guy totally didn't get left-hand path at all. And it was so like offensive that it was funny to me, you know, and you got to laugh at certain times because you know that's that's the people want or satanic demons that's what they really want they don't want you to be rational yeah don't throw out you know a philosophy uh, a base for what you're doing and you know that was a very the hard thing and there were some times we had a guy come in that had a gun on his side and started telling me in private about how demons communicate with them and, you know, so like if you're kind of theistic, if you approach the archetypes in the theistic way, that's great. But when you start telling people about it, that, you know, unless that person's into it and, and they share those experiences, 
it just comes off. Wow. This person, <laughs> what if the demon tells them the wrong thing? Am I going to be in a situation here? And uh, luckily we weren't, but uh, yeah, there were some close, close calls with that. And uh, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds like a wild ride. And, and you know, and, and you're right. That's the thing about the press. I, I, I learned this too, maybe the hard way um, at, 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 at one point in time that uh, mm-hmm. they will always try and, and, and paint you in the most sensationalistic light, you know, and they will take whatever, you know, two, three words that you say and make a, make you look like so bad. Like, um, you know, I like, I, I, I know that the, um, the occult experience video, which has, that has LeVay and that has the Aquinos and, and then a bunch of other people in it. Um, but you know, like, um, the, the interview that they did with the Aquinos was like uh, two, three hours they spent like interviewing them, but they used like the five minutes where they were talking yeah. about like the SS and, and that's what they used in it. And, and, and it's always exactly. like that. It's like all these things are out there now on, on YouTube and you know, like um, have you seen Anton LaVey on the Joe Pine show? That's like a yeah. big one on wasn't, YouTube. Wasn't that his last public interview? No, it's one, one that... of the early, it's one of the early ones where he showed up with uh uh you know Anton showed up with his cowl on with his horns and stuff yeah. like that and Joe Pine is like, I mean he's just selling to your to his face you know but you're kind of like an idiot you know you're kind of a fool and Anton Lavey is like you know I mean he's doing really good like rolling with the punches on the interview and you and I could watch something like that and think you know oh well yeah Anton Lavey is coming across great everything considered. Yeah. But you know the the average person is gonna watch this and go, oh yeah, he's like a, you know, he he eats babies or whatever, you know, and just believe like the absolute worst thing of it. And it's like the press always tries to make you look so bad. And this is one of the great things that we have now with uh, the internet is that you're allowed to speak for yourself, you know. Yes. And you know this like better than anyone. You can put up your own website, you can put out your own material, and you can speak for yourself versus like having to like go through this other, you know, this other, uh, uh, avenue that's like controlled with the media. Yeah. And you know, it's very much, if you look at the media and, and I learned this the hard way, you know, before this in my, before we opened the Luciferian Apotheca, I had worked my way up in a company from the bottom level to being a market training manager for all these store managers and so forth. And I was making good money. And I went from that to Lucifer and Apotheca, which was uh, just starting out. But I learned in that time of how to present, how to use diplomacy, how to deal with different types of people. That helped me even in this situation because the media, it's very much a business. And they're about getting things that sell whatever they're presenting. And they want to present it in the way that gets them the most eyebrows raised. They don't want something that's just normal. It's like when you look at politics and things like that. It's never what someone says. It's how they're going to spin it to make it fit their agenda. And that's, you know, in a way, that's a type of magic um, in itself. And you have to watch that when you're presenting yourself, especially today in social media. Uh, everything you say can be, uh, it's always very like looked at and very picked over. And if you say one thing that's off-putting, 
um, then it's just, oh, it's just hell breaks loose. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really a interesting thing that I've had to kind of like evolve and, um, understand and, and stay consistent because they try to throw little, like, you know, they want you to take the bait on some things. And sometimes you want to be a smart ass and just tell them something shocking just to, just to mess with them just a lot, but actually you don't because you know that, Hey, that's what they want because then they're going to use that. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah no, they you know they're good. They're going to fucking use it, man, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, since then it's been a, a interesting uh, journey and I was happy to close that part because after a year of doing that, um, you know, there's only so much, it, it's a good experience, but there's only so much you can do. And uh, it was time to move to the next phase um, in in what I do. So that's yeah, that's kind of how it it played out. Yeah. So there was a point before, I guess uh, I would say during the, the the golden age of the GCOL, before things got really bad, um, I was contacted by Jacob No. <laughs> And, and he was, he was asking me if I would like to come out and like talk there sometime. And I, and and I was, I was talking to him about that. And there was a point where that was like something that, you know, might've happened. It was, it was about to happen, but then things started to go kind of like South with everything and, and, and that didn't happen. But, um, but I saw that Jacob Noah is now like, he's like a born again Christian or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Jacob No was the the person in question. Um, I'm just going to be honest. The person in question that that I I wasn't sold on when I met him. And anyone who meets him face to face, you know, they kind of get that unless they grew up with him, which it's different. Um, But I found out early on that this guy, he's he doesn't he's not left hand path. He never was. And you can tell by the actions as you start to see him every day and the things that he says and does. And, you know, this guy was in charge because I didn't want to be hoping I didn't want to be in charge of the money aspect of it just because we have so many things going on. And that's a big responsibility. So he did the bank accounts. He did all this and he would tell us and he would show us stuff. But then he started doing this thing where he'd move around bank accounts. He would close Uh-oh. this one, open a new one. He'd give us cards for it so we could check, but then he would close it and open another one. So we started, and then I went over to his house, and I go in there, and all of a sudden he has it like a studio set up in his in his house. And I'm like, this is better equipment than I've ever had, you know. And I've been doing albums for years. Oh yeah, this guy hasn't done one album. So he starts telling me that his, his fiance's parents paid for it. And instantly Hope and I were like, yeah, we need to start looking into this. So we talked to Jeremy and we started uh, gathering evidence. And it was at the point where, you know, when you get something going, like this was my life's work, the Luciferian philosophy as it's evolved. It didn't start out that way. It was really just a guy that was into Uh, left-hand path magic, and I wanted to share with mutual people who were kind of into that in their own way. It became this, the true will of uh, uh, present this philosophy. 
enhance these things. And so then I had a guy who was constantly saying the wrong thing. Uh, we were getting in arguments to where I was losing my, like, I don't lose my temper a lot, but when I do, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty obnoxious. And I was berating this guy in person and on the phone to where I've never talked to someone I didn't like like this. And I knew this was not good. And he was constantly, if you, we talk about things as a council with Jeremy, okay, this is how we present this. And we would all agree. And then he would go and do the exact opposite, whatever he wanted to do. So he, he started wanting, he was getting all these things. He went to Costa Rica and did all these things. And then he tells me, we, as we're not getting along, he says, hey, I talked to Paul Frederick and uh, he's going to do music with me. And I said, you talked to Paul? And I'm like, don't talk to Paul because he's going he's gonna to like, I don't want Paul judging me based on this guy, you know, because Paul hasn't seen me in years. And that really pissed me off. And uh, he would do that. Anybody, even other people that I was in contact with, he would contact them and try to use them. And uh, he did that to Dawn of Ashes, uh, uh, Christoph from Dawn of Ashes, um, over a music thing. And so, yeah, it was horrible. And I was like, I was cringing. I was like, we have to do something. So we dug up enough information and we pressured him until we got the records. When we got the records, uh, we had to be very uh, strategic in how we moved forward with him because, you know, he's all about drama and uh, all about himself to the point of where it, he's definitely a sociopath in that he can't even fake it. He cannot even fake it well. So, you know, we had this situation. What do we do? We don't want to create drama and our personal feelings in the public environment on this guy at that time. It was just, it would be very immature. So we had to move him out. I had to totally get all the copyrights, everything signed over, anything that wasn't under our name and do that and then move him out. And the reason that he told everyone he became a Christian was because he chose he chose to leave and the Lord spoke to him. What actually happened was that uh, he was out of there and we had proof and we told him, you leave quietly or we just put this all on the table. And we don't want to do that because the philosophy is important and what we're trying to do means everything. Not this nickel and dime stuff, but the fact that he did these horrible things, you know, it really made us angry. And so we had to get rid of him. When he left, then he he uh, started playing the Jesus game. And, um, you know, there's so many bad things about this individual. And I, I, uh, I know that he's he's a cursed person and he is going to have to deal with what he deals with in life. Um, but, yeah, that, that was hard when uh, he told me that he talked to you. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. You know, but uh, yeah, it's just something we had to, to deal with for a long time. You know, we start, it started out with, um, you know, um, like maybe coming out to the GCOL to like talk there. And I thought, well, that could be interesting. That could be fun. Um, and, and, and maybe something like that would happen. And then he started talking to me about the music stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it was really started to go like, like, that's not really, 
I mean, he was asking me questions about everything. And, you know, anyone who, like, you just meet them online and they want to collaborate with you musically, like, immediately like that, and they have no, you know, background yeah. or something. I mean, like, you mentioned Christoph, right? And and he's great. I've had him on the show before, right? Yes. Um, like, if Christoph said, hey, let's collaborate on something, I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know? I mean, he's obviously got some kind of reason to, like, say that. And, and, mm -hmm. and Jacob started talking about that. And then I started to get like, I don't know about this guy. And then he started talking about how he's really good at like getting followers and stuff. And I started to think, oh, this guy might actually be a parasite or what uncle Tony would call Ooh. a psychic vampire. And, Definitely. you know, as, as, as things just played out, I mean, there, there you go. Like a few weeks later, I see a video of him like recanting. And like going and getting like you know saved on a on a video yeah. over there, and it's like, well, you see what this guy is about. So I mean, I think you, you yeah. had no choice. Once you realize that, you have no choice but to, you know, drag them into the light, and you know, drive a stake through their heart and get rid of them. You know, you just yes. you know remove them from your presence. Yeah, and you know that's that was the thing is that when you have these situations. Um, you have to be smarter than that person. You have to be more strategic. And, you know, you can reckon what I learned from this was if you meet somebody and you, you get that vibe right away. And this guy gave me the creepy, like he is a creeper. There was something off with him. And I thought, and you know, I listened to the advice of maybe he's just dumb and, but he's really like wanting to be in this. And, you know, you think, well, Maybe he can do that and he'll grow as a person. Well, no, I learned that if you get that, that feeling early on, then forget about it. Yeah. And uh, we came out of that the best possible way that could have happened. And that was from a lot of teamwork uh, with Jeremy and, and Hope and all the work that, that we all put into it to get out of that situation. But I'm going forward not with – the GCOL, that's, that's, that chapter's closed. Uh, that situation's over. And now it's about, I just want to present the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And that's what mm -hmm. I'm doing in this new work. But also the magical aspect is very important to me as well. So those are the avenues that I'm really focused on uh, now. And so, yeah, that's, that's the thing. So let's talk about that, man. Let's talk about um, Apotheosis is the, the book that you're working on now, right? Yes. So Apotheosis is a very short, concise, uh, philosophical introduction. It's, it's uh, the first part of the book is it has some elements of wisdom of ES for us, but mostly all new uh, material based around uh, what I call the triad of the morning star, which is illumination or liberation, illumination, apotheosis. And it's not something new in the sense that, oh, some new amazing idea. It's really three steps of how to apply the philosophy. And applying the philosophy kind of like uh, categorizations that you can look at and say, oh, okay, this kind of validation point of what you're doing. And the reason that I really wanted that to come forth was that I felt like wisdom of Eosphorus was kind of useless in some of the, the areas that I wanted it to really come up and stand forward. And so this work is intended to really be the introduction, the void of magic. Now, the magical 
aspect is in the second half of applying it if that's your thing. But the key thing with uh, apotheosis is that magic begins in your thoughts, in what you think, how you think, and the rate of focus that you have towards it. And then the effects of how you say something, how you present something, and what you do. All of these things matter. And that is really where magic begins. That's the most important aspect of it. And I, I don't know if I've been too, I've tried to explain that and present that concept in many of my books. I don't know how successful overall, uh, I think people that get it, get it. Um, but this is kind of the philosophical introduction. Um, I want to be clear that it's not uh, in any way, it builds off of the left-hand path kind of forefathers and what they have laid down. Um, it's not in competition. It's kind of in harmony and kind of within this small area. Um, so that's really the focus of, of this work. Um, embracing the adversary is a beneficial and kind of motivating aspect. So, um, so how does Lucifer like relate to all this? What is your, what is your take on Lucifer? Are you, um, do you identify more as atheistic and this is just a symbol or do you think that there is a, an intelligence to it? Is there a praetor human intelligence? What is your take I, on all that? Well, so before I approached Lucifer, the archetype always, uh, I connected with it and kind of like, if you go back the earliest mentioning, uh, if you go to Isaiah 14, where it talks about, the, the sun of the morning falling, and they say it's a Babylonian reference to uh, Nebuchadnezzar or, or Melkart, the god of Tyre or Tyr. Um, there's actually a, a tablet in the city of Ras Shamra that was found. It's a Ugaritic city of Canite uh, extractions, kind of, they were merchants, it was a major merchant hub uh, for that, uh, the Near East. That was destroyed in the Bronze Age by the Sea Peoples. Um, but in destroying that city, they kind of burnt and it, uh, kind of preserved all these tablets. And in many of these tablets, the bowel cycle and all these things came to light. And there's this one tablet that mentions, uh, this God called the shining one. And this is a rough translation, the shining one who fell. And it mentions uh, Ashtar or Athtar the rebel. And his name and association is the morning star, Venus, and the evening star. Uh, kind of a male counterpart to Astarte and Ashtaroth and Inanna and Ishtar. And his story in that is that he uh, wanted to take Baal's throne when Baal was in the underworld with the god of death, Mot. But he wasn't tall enough or something, so he came down and ruled the earth in the form of like irrigation and renewal, things like that. He is also a war god. So in uncovering that, you see this kind of balance area with what became Lucifer and the, the Roman god and all those associations. So early Christianity, second century onward, they equated Satan with Lucifer. The names became like, as a syncretic assimilation. And so 
when I look at the idea of Lucifer, I see it in, in type of a, like what I call a deific mask. So you have the components, the symbols, and the associations that make that particular deity uh, what it's over. So if it's an energy for um, self-realization, for motivating, attaining knowledge, they all have specific areas that they're associated with. And these are energies within us and in a metaphysical sense uh, beyond us, and not only in nature, but also potentially in the a casual or what some call the anti-cosmic, the chaos that's beyond us. So I personally approach in the ritual chamber in my workings as something outside of us that exists. Um, but I, I don't want to, you can approach it in a rational sense in an atheistic way, depends on the person. I, um, the thing with Lucifer is that it is the, the shining one, one who, who brings a sense of order to his structure or its structure, but it also can be destroying as well. It can have that um, kind of primal aspect to it too, depending on what form it takes, if that makes sense. So um, when I think Lucifer, I don't think just all bright and light. I see a darker aspect too, the same as like uh, in the Book of Enoch, uh, Cocobiel is one of the, the watchers and he has the Luciferian traits of uh, bringing knowledge to man, Azazel, um, who's actually assimilated with Samael, Satan, and some of the, the uh, later Judeo-Christian texts. Uh, Zazel is like the Venus, the morning star, in that uh, he instructed people on making weapons in self-defense, but also in cosmetics, so how to present things, how to present that command to look, like as Anton LaVey talked about, and uh, uh, Stephen Flowers. Um, and such. So as Lucifer really has a very specific component, but also in different forms has different avenues of exploration. If, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so uh, one, one thing I'll, I will say is that I remember like listening to you talk about this. I remember back in the day, like, you know, say when we were hanging out at Sliders, talking about using the term Luciferianism, and we use uh -huh. the term Luciferianism as a as an adjective, like that's mm -hmm. Luciferian, right? That yeah. that's like you know the, to 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 describe the process of of breaking away from a a collective to you know champion the fire of individuality. That's a Luciferian sort of thing, but now. Mm -hmm. You know, now here we are like, you know, whatever, 20 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, something like that. And it's like you talk about Luciferianism and it's like it's not an adjective anymore. It's a thing. It's become something. Right. It's become like this. 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 There's a system. Right. There's an approach that's like embodied by this. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. And originally. Um, it was kind of a term, it could be used in Satanism, it could be used in, in all kinds of different left-hand path avenues as a way of approach 
And, you know, what you're referring to, yeah, that was totally the, the thing. See, what I was doing didn't fit in to any specific categories within the left-hand path. And I, I don't mean that as it was unique and just so amazing, amazingly new. It was that um, I had a way of working that I had to do, and I had to figure it out in the way that I did. And so, like many different things, fed and fueled the initiatory experience. And that's what my early books really were a reflection of, of as what I was doing at the time. And, you know, I wasn't trying to start an offshoot of Setian works or uh, Satanism because Satanism, you know, LeVay kind of solidified that crystallized kind of concept. I wanted to carry on in different streams of that. And Luciferianism became this, you know, this philosophy of how it worked kind of for me and, and what I was doing in life. It, it, it really, that's how I lived and it helped. And, it, and I didn't see it in the early days of, well, what are the actual takeaway, all the Gnosis and the, the concepts and what are the, the things that actually are in place that made that happen? And it was something that it goes back to what you feel when you're young. Uh, you know, in your early days when you don't know anything. And um, some of that was in me, you know, and that, and, and I think probably most left-hand path people have, you know, the, some of those similar things. Um, yes, it did become this thing. And, you know, I, sometimes I see this thing, there are different types, different groups that pop up. And I'm sure, uh, I know the Church of Satan or, or Satanism had this with the different ones then denouncing LaVey or, you know, they always attack whoever. And, you know, I see that now. And, you know, it's just something that you have to deal with. What I stick to is I'm not going to argue with them, but my works speak for themselves. And if people take them, validate it. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, you know, use part of it, adapt it, whatever that is. So yeah, it was it was a big uh, it was a journey, and it's still a journey. There's you know I'm still uh, on that journey. You're the godfather of Luciferianism, man. Well, actually, you know Charles Pace was the one that crystallized his his obscure manuscript was the thing that crystallized it for me, and uh, I'm so you know I I got it from a friend at the Museum of Witchcraft. And, you know, it, it took a sizable donation, but I got a copy of the manuscript, this handwritten thing from 1960s, from the late 60s. And this guy corresponded with Anton LaVey, and that's how I heard of him. And he was also friends with Jimmy Page, painted some murals in his Boleskin uh, house in Scotland. And this guy named, it, it really crystallized it for me because he mentions uh, he called the gods. He said the gods, as we know them, are props. And this is somebody back in the late 60s who was involved in, in the Wicca groups. And they hated him because he went around to these groups and was very rational. He, was, he ran one of the covens. But he said the gods are props. Look to the energies 
that you can bring from within yourself. And this is someone saying that back then. And um, it was a little different from LeVay, but it, it kind of went along with what he was doing. And, and um, Charles Pace called himself a, he, he was an expert in Egyptian mythology, religion, even had the language, like was able to write down the language. And this guy, um, it really changed everything, called himself a priest of Set. But he was also very um, kind of he went on in newspapers and was very like he had fun with it. And you could tell, but they would eat it up and it was England. So they would turn it into devil worship and all this stuff. But that guy's concept, he called it Luciferian. It totally spoke to me and and worked for what I was doing. So I, I did a book uh, based on that. I like to name that, you know, that guy had a lot of important things um, and was a great unsung hero of the left-hand path, I think. And what, and what book was that? Um, it, it's a manuscript. I wrote about him and dedicated this book, Necrominion, uh, Necrominion. Egyptian Satanic Magic. That really entails all of it. But these were big manuscripts he wrote and hand-painted and would present them, but they were never published. But I got a copy of one, actually two of them, the Book of Thoth, which was not related to the Crowley book, but also it was called Necrominion, uh, the, uh, the Shades, the Book of the Shades. And it's called the Satanic Cult of Mast. That's what he was doing, but he never got to publish it. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, it worked in like it clicked with what I was doing at the time. So, so yeah, that's kind of where it went. What but, about um, Alex Sanders? He had you know, a Luciferian his, thing, like like he had like uh like three like three primary like deities that he worked with as like Tetragrammaton, you know, Father God or Sir Nunnos or whatever, you know, Father uh, you know Father Horned God, a Mother Goddess, yeah. and then Lucifer. He had Lucifer in there. He used that terminology. Well, yeah, like you get the like uh, the Charles Leland translation that had Diana and Lucifer, the Italian tale. Um, which fed into to early Wicca. Um, Sanders had some good material. There's he did this. He built off of what Charles Pace had this triad of darkness and light, and it's set as darkness, Amon Ra as light, but they're in harmony with each other. There's a balance there. They're, they're not at war, and they're very much a part of the greater need. Um, and and Sanders presented that. But then he started, he kind of went in a different way. And um, it's almost like he wanted to be left-hand path. He had some of the seeds there, but maybe it was the time. Maybe it was just the circumstance. It kind of went another way. Well, he got obsessed and, with like nudity, I think. He got obsessed with like being naked, having camera crews show up and being naked and having group sex in front of, uh, on, on camera became the obsession, you know? Yeah. How many of those, how many of those like coffee table witchcraft books that you find at like, a half price book and you look just for that one cool demon picture and, but you have to go through like five pages of Alexander's uh, naked with uh, these very unattractive women. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, just bad. Yeah, I know I, that, that we, we all had to like pour through all those things like back in the day. Um, and, and, you know, and that's another thing to bring this all back to um, where, 
LeVay and the left-hand path kind of like exploded out of all of this. And I think a lot of people don't like really get this is that everything that LeVay was like rebelling against, you know, he's obviously he was like rebelling against Christianity and stuff. But what they don't get is he was also rebelling against Wicca. He was rebelling against that. And he was also rebelling against the fact that um, that Wicca, as it came into America at that time in the 60s, was completely ingrained with uh, the political left and liberalism and the hippie movement, which is a younger generation than him. And he was rebelling against that also. And Sanders and these other guys that we're talking about, they're actually kind of, they were an older generation. They weren't like baby boomers, right? They were like older guys. They're all like, actually, you know, um, you know, Sanders, he was like, you know, I think he's like silent generation. He's like LaVey's age. He's like Timothy Leary's age. He's like the Beatles age. He's not actually part of the hippie generation. But Anton, yeah. his rebellion was also against all these political things. His rebellion was against Wiccanism and... And people like us who were like, you know, kids like in the 80s who are trying to find information about this and finding books about like witchcraft and Wiccanism and going, this isn't really for me. This isn't really about me. This isn't really what I'm looking for. You know, he offered this alternative to that, this alternative yeah. to that that was like self-affirming, that wasn't, you know, politically motivated and and and, yeah. and, and didn't have any of these like requirements that, you know, you have to get naked and stuff like that yeah. and, you know. You can't put politics, you know, and that's even more of a, a, a true statement today. You can't put left-hand path into politics uh, as an exclusive thing or proponent, like being a proponent of the left or even the right, because, you know, it's essentially about people control. Mm -hmm. And uh, nobody really likes to think for themselves. They take the first thing they read without investigating and, oh, this must be true. And then they jump on this bandwagon or or people are either uh, far left or far right. There's nobody that really makes decisions based on, is this, is this a good idea? Is this something that we should uh, be a proponent of? And the left-hand path, you can't, uh, you can, uh, you know, so like the, what are they called? The, uh, the TST. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like, I don't consider them left-hand path. Um, I don't dislike them. I don't really, I don't, I'm kind of ambivalent towards them. I think what they're doing is this political, this concept they have that everything should be level and they're attacking it from a kind of using the imagery of Satanism. But, um, you know, whether people think that it's real left-hand path or not, that's up to them. But I, I don't think that that, I learned that that is not something that can be for the masses. And I say that as someone who went through experiencing some of those things, not to the level they do, but on some level, yes. And um, it, it has to be an individual thing. Um, and Satan doesn't really represent... Um, changing i mean I, I guess you could use it in a way of changing laws and that can be beneficial for some but it's still going to go back to the right hand path kind of uh ruling parties and whatever they think is is necessary we no, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right i agree 100 percent um i think the tst is is basically a a uh, liberal left-wing uh protest group 
And, you know, I, I find myself always wanting to now like, you know, explain to people, Hey, left wing is not the same thing as left hand path. Um, they're not the same thing at all. Don't, don't conflate those two things because they're not the same thing at all. And most of that group, uh, that organization, and you know, since it's an organization, you just have to take it at, at that level is, is not concerned with any of the things that, um, that you and I have been talking about, you know, for, for, for the last hour, they're not interested in any of those things, you know, whatsoever. And, and, you know, this is why I, I go back to Aleister Crowley, his um, book of the law, like the the mm-hmm. introduction that he wrote to the book of the law, and I and I consider that Crowley at one of his most lucid moments. That's one of the good things we he wrote, where he said, "No, the law of do what thou wilt means, you know, he 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 dismisses fascism, he dismisses communism, and he dismisses yeah. democracy." And, and that's what it means. The, the law of do what thou wilt, it means that everyone is, is, is a God and an individual, and we do not need to be ruled by anyone. So I can never fully understand the rationality of saying, I'm going to spend all this time rebelling against Christianity, saying I don't want to be ruled by this. But then I'm going to allow this like other like secular institution, I'm just going to blindly accept them to like rule me and tell me what is good. And I know they have this idea of like trying to point out the absurdity of, you know, Ten Commandments on a, you know, on a, on a, you know, a, a, a state building. They have the Ten Commandments there. So they protest it. If you have the Ten Commandments, you have to have our statue of, of, of the sabbatic goat there, too. And that's like kind of a pluralism thing. And, yeah, it's pointing out the absurdity. But really, the reality of this is that there should not be any religious stuff on the state, you know, public stuff. That's yeah. what really we should be talking about is that if, if we're going to have like actually a legitimate secular government, if that is even possible to have, it should not favor yeah. any religion rather than trying to get it to have that. Because I mean, there's a wider movement even beyond TST that's doing that now. There's like a huge Islamic thing. It's like, well, we're going to have to have uh Muhammad shit on here. If you're going to have your 10 commandments and then it's, I mean, where, where does that end? It's going to be ridiculous. I mean, because they're never going to go, oh, well, let's have, you know, um, you, you know, are you going to go to like the courthouse and there's like 50 different like religious like things like, you know, all around you when it's supposed to be secular? I mean, it's just absurd. It loses its meaning for what they're intending these these groups when that happens. And and then when you have religion governing policies that are made for a government and, and daily and dealing with people. That's eventually leads to bad things, really bad things, and oppression, genocide. Um, if, if you look back at uh, like different like groups, like uh, let's look at Saddam Hussein's Iraq. <clears throat> now, when 2003 and the war started, we were told this is what's happening because he has these bad things. And if you look at Saddam Hussein as a person, um, this is an example of um, this guy ruled his country with an iron fist, kept tribes in line that never got along, and that the reason that we went in, as we can see now, was because corporations are making calls and lobbying and making things happen according to what benefits corporations. And so, you know, whatever president you get in, whatever kind of new official that's going to change the world that you get in, 
until we eliminate some of the corporation uh, kind of corporations having control over how our government works, there's going to be all this chaos in between. Right. And, exactly. You, know, now, you I, hit the nail on the head. The problem is uh, cronyism, right? Yeah. It's a, that corporations can utilize the force of government to create these, to send in troops, to like build embassies and, and, and do all these things. And absolutely, that's what that's what happened there. I mean, if, if you wanted to talk about, um, you know, diplomacy, well, it's like actually Iraq was like the only, like Saddam Hussein um, was the only secular government in that whole milieu of the Middle East. That was the only secular government there. All the other governments there are, are radical Islamic. I mean, it, yeah. it, there was no reason to like create this this conflictual sort of like, you know, relationship other than there was these forces that wanted to use that mechanism of force and coercion to achieve their means. Yeah. And, and as long as that temptation is there, there's going to be you know, uh, the temptation to use it in that way. And then, you know, lives are lost. How many people, you know, I think when political leaders send in young men to go fight for our country or whatever, that they should be accountable in return for when those people are killed. If, if it turns out as a reason that's not legitimate, that's just a way to make money for their buddies, their corporate, then there should be a fallback. There should be an accountability there, just like a criminal, just like someone who broke the law that you can say, hey, we have proof of this. You know, but instead, the media that we see, you know, you see lesser magic at work everywhere in how things are presented, in how things are spun, how if you say something enough times, people just accept it. Um, and distractions. And that's what I think why being left-hand path is sobering in the way that you don't have to get caught up in all that chaos. And um, the one thing that I never do is I never speak politically on any opinions I may or may not have in social media or in the context of my work. I can relate to, I can observe all these things going on just as anyone else can, but I'm not going to weigh in on those things because ultimately it doesn't matter what I, what the individual thinks in, in the mass of that chaos. It matters what the, the people who are making it happen. They're the ones who make the decisions in that. Yeah. But as an individual, we can still make our own decisions and make our world a little more uh, compatible with what we desire, with what we want. We have one life. You know, and, and what I've learned in turning, you know, age 40 and over is that, you know, it's more important to focus on the things that you can affect directly and to have the best experience you can have because, you know, we don't know concretely who knows what happens when we die. You can have supernatural experiences, but in a scientific environment, it's very hard to replicate those things. So you have to... Uh, you know, people have their religion and their faiths and you can have weird things happen. I have. Um, but I don't know for sure, 100 percent, when when the lights go out, what happens, you know, and, and what survives, what doesn't. So it's important to focus on what you can now and enhance yourself as you go yeah. to where if there is something that 
you're ho hopefully helping the chances that you're going to project and crystallize and survive part of that that aspect of your psyche. Absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about. Let's talk about uh, the Black Flame Festival. We're going to be there in like what, like uh, five weeks or so. I'm going to see you there. Yeah. What's yeah, your presentation? Tell me about your presentation there. So I'm going to present uh, Luciferianism, Luciferian magic, in, in terms of liberation, illumination, apotheosis, those steps, uh, what those mean, and the basics of magical approach. But then part two is really about a concept that is deeply, as always been there for me, and something that I've explored and researched. And that's what I, what's called Yatutkinal, it's Persian or Avestan, for witchcraft and sorcery. Also the concept of the adversary Araman and the metaphysical aspects, but also the mundane, the, the magical. Um, and I'm approaching it differently, you know, so it has a part to do with Zoroastrianism, but it's not Zoroastrian. Um, and I'm respectful of the work that Stephen Flowers has done on uh, Ahura Mazda, uh, the good religion, as he calls it. Um, my approach is more related to the Zervanites, which was kind of the, they approach dualism, but also the uh, Deva Yasna or the they were kind of outside of the Zoroastrian religion, but they approached Araman as and the arch devas or the devas as kind of elemental and beneficial uh, powers not only within themselves, but within nature. So I'm kind of going all into that, um, which is something that, that I've wanted to do because usually it's about presenting Luciferianism in a narrow kind of context. And I get to kind of present some of the deeper concepts um, that I've experienced with it and so forth. So I wanted to ask you about this, um, Ahriman. And your work with this, because you mentioned um, the Good Religion, the the book by uh, Doctor Flowers, which which I read and I thought it was awesome. I mean, it really the way the 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 whole perspective that's that's indicated in there um, about you know Ahura Mazda being the principle of consciousness. And so you know, I come from a Setian point of view, so I mean, that's that's right in line with it, right? That's how we look at Set as being the principle of consciousness, and that's how I that's how I perceive Lucifer and these other other archetypes as well. It it, it represents the principle of consciousness, and that Ahriman represents the principle of um, what you know what Ospensky or Gurdjieff would you know talk about as far as like mechanicalism, right? And 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 um, uh, you know, ignorance and, and, and coercion. It really comes down to this. And this is something we've talked about throughout this discussion, the principle of, of, um, of freedom versus coercion, independence versus coercion. And really coercion is the ultimate sin. And even Aleister Crowley, when he talks about the word of sin is restriction, he's talking about that's a form of like coercion, a force. The only thing that's yeah. wrong ever to do is to use force on someone who doesn't want to be forced into something so so how do you like um with with a Riemann, how do you um how do you present that what does that mean to you uh in relation to well, all that well you know so to go kind of to the foundation of how i approach this uh you know i want to say dr flowers his uh, i his work is within the 
uh, what would be called the orthodox Zoroastrian approach. So really in accordance with the Avesta, the Corda Avesta, and, and those works as they were in uh, Persia and then India after. And uh, those works are exceptional in that they involve that focus of consciousness and really some magical aspects in many of the, they use sound, vibration, chant. Oh, it's very magical. It's very magical. I mean, that's where the word magic comes from. The magi or magoi. I mean, they invented the word magic. You know, that's where we get it. So my approach comes from, if, if you look in, in the pre-Alexander the Great, before he conquered that region, there were the Achaemenids Persians. The, uh, they were like Darius. It was that family that came out of Ansan and uh, Persia proper, and they took over the Median Empire. The core of the Medeans were the Magi. And then you see this expression uh, that they, you have uh, syncretic assimilation with Ahura Mazda with Zeus. Um, And you see that in coins in the ancient Near East from the city of Tarsus, from uh, Antioch or what became Antioch, all those areas. And they present Ahura Mazda as the order bringing the good bestower, but also a conqueror. He's shown with the arrow at times, similar to the uh, Assyrian god Ashur um, or Asur. So Angramanu or Araman, we see in early writings, was uh, assimilated with Hades. And you see this in the writings of Plutarch. And some of the offerings that the uh, Achaemenid Persians were doing were more or less offerings to the devas, but they still, and and there was this kind of uh, dualistic thing going on to where they would offer to Ahura Mazda and then perform offerings to Araman, representing the underworld, uh, but also the devas. Now the, the devas, and this is probably more important than the later concept of uh, Ahraman or Angramanu is that the devas were gods of the Indo-Aryan invaders from North India who were responsible for the Rig Veda and all those with Indra, with uh, Savar or Rudra. But they, as they invaded, they were these uh, nomadic kind of conquerors. And they had these groups called the Marianu, which were like male warriors. And they would go in and they would attack these pastoralists. And these pastoralists were the kind of the origins of the Zoroastrians before Zoroaster reformed it. And so these, they worshiped the devas because they saw them as bestowing bounties by the will, more or less by what they conquer they were bestowers of that and they celebrated life and they didn't, the devas didn't uh, 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 either worshiping either one didn't give you uh, boons or restrictions on your afterlife. Um, You did what you did then. Now, so that fits in very much in line with Satanism to a certain extent in that you live for the here and now 
but you can also have this spiritual avenue of it too. So the Devas were motivators in many ways, and they went over to the Middle East in this group called the Mitanni, who were Bronze Age in northern like Assyria and Syria. And um, they worshipped Indra and all these Devas. <clears throat> and they're seen in treaties with the New Kingdom Egyptians, uh, naming Set, Baal, and then Indra and all these others. So Araman as it developed in Zervanite religion, which shows that Zervan, the father of time, had two offspring, Araman and Ahura Mazda. They were in the same womb, and Araman willed himself to come forth first because Zervan said, whoever comes forth first will rule the world. So Araman clawed out, and this is similar to the story with Set, in that he clawed out of the womb and came forth first. So his father, Zervan, was not pleased with Araman. He didn't like him. He was dark. He was primal. And But he had to go by what he, he did. So he bestowed Araman to go forth and conquer the world for roughly 3,000 years. Then Ahura Mazda would um, take over. So they had this battle, this cosmic battle, to where uh, Araman and Ahura Mazda couldn't really defeat each other. Orthodox Zoroastrianism says that Ahura Mazda defeats them always, and that Araman is so, um, how do you say, so negative that he doesn't exist. That's only in one area of Zoroastrianism. Uh, there are other, like the Mazdeans and the Manicheans, and there are these what they call heresies to where Araman actually is very much in line, a kind of balancing, motivating force with Ahura Mazda. And so when I approach Araman, I don't see it as totally negative or destroying. I see it as balancing. So Araman is called the father of reptiles, of flies, of all these things. But all these things bring a and have a place in the natural order. So Ahura Mazda does represent consciousness and our ability to order our worlds, to recognize the creative aspects of nature. But Araman balances that in kind of the night side area as the one whose primal force and fire uh, encourages us to go forth and conquer to then increase and to master those things that we could consider fearful in, in that. So there's a balance there. And so that's how I approach Araman in my studies and in my work. Now, I, I, I can totally see that point of view. The thing that really got me with this whole mythology is um, – the Fravashi, right? Which mm -hmm. is like the, you know, that is, it basically means the soul. And that's like the, the image of like, you know, the wings and everything that everyone associates with Zoroastrianism. And, and there's a little guy standing in there and people that, yeah. that, that don't know, think that, Oh, well that's a symbol of Ahura Mazda or God. No, it's not. It's a symbol of the soul, right? It's a symbol mm -hmm. of, it's, it's a map of like the human soul and the idea that every individual who lives here now, who comes to earth and is living here, made a conscious voluntary decision to come here, right? 
That's what's so radical. It like it just throws in the face, you know, uh, original sin, right? And no such thing yeah. as fucking original sin. No, you come to the world as a good warrior for consciousness and freedom, yeah. volunteerism, individuality, all of the things that, you know, the founding fathers of the left-hand path talked about, all the things that LeVay talked about, Crowley talked about, Aquino talked about. You came here as a good, individualistic, free person, and you came here to fight against ignorance and non-consciousness and basically the right-hand path, you know, everything that the right-hand path represents, coercion, right? That no one should be yeah. a slave. No, you know, you're fighting against slavery. That's evil. You know, um, and, and, and that was like what was the most inspiring thing to me um, about it. And once you realize that, that everyone is is fundamentally a good person, you realize, oh, well, that's the original left hand path. You know, the original religion, the first, you know, system, because that I mean, pretty much everything points to, you know, that Zoroastrianism. That's the first religious yeah. system based around fire and stuff was based on what you and I will, would both agree are left-hand path principles right now. And it just like yeah. blew me away, you know? The, the group that they that evidence shows that they did exist are called the Deva Yasna, or the, the, the demon worshipers. And how they worked was they weren't off doing their own thing. They were a part of normal Zoroastrian society. And the, often they were in the orthodox system uh, system of the good religion. They would be uh, Moabads or priests of Ahura Mazda. And in day, they would make offerings uh, to the fire. But then in the evenings, they would do these things which pushed you outside of your norms. They would uh, put hair in the sacred fire because that was what defiled it for Ehrman when he, uh, cause he there's nothing created, worse than burning hair. <laughs> yeah, nothing worse. And so that's what they did. And they have this great demonic mythology, which relates to, um, working with elements of the earth with working with nature, but it embraces the interesting thing for me is that primal thing that humans have throughout evolution is that we all, to some extent, have this violent aspect within ourselves to conquer or, you know, to be violent. And in the left-hand path, it's about channeling that in the right way that it doesn't come out hurting someone else uh, unless it's self-defense or some circumstance as a soldier or, you know, but you think about things before you do them and you, you know, you don't react based on how you always feel, you know, you have to control that and weigh that out. So in working with Araman and the Devas in that sense, and then looking at how to work with Ahura Mazda as that force of consciousness, there's actually, you mentioned the Pravati or the, the uh, what we could call the daemon or the mm -hmm. true will. No, absolutely. No, it's the same thing. The Favashi, it's absolutely the same thing as, as the, the Greeks. I, I absolutely be believe the Greeks got this idea from them. You know, the idea yeah, that yes. you, and, and it's, it's, it's Crowley's ho Holy guardian angel too. Absolutely. Yeah, for the sure. yeah. There's this, there's a coin that is shown in the city of Tarsus 
from around three, right before Alexander the Great, so probably about 345 BCE. Uh, and it shows it has one side of uh, one of their local deities, but on the back, during the Achmenid Persians, they have that Fravarshi as Ahura Mazda. So showing one means the other. Mm-hmm. It, it means that divine consciousness. And sure, they meant in definitely a political, you know, uh, they would celebrate their localities in their territories. But, you know, you can see that, um, that kind of beauty. And even with the Assyrians who were before them, they originally had the figure of the arrow, the archer, as within the wings. So he was called Ashur. He was the god of the city of Ashur, who is very close to like Marduk or Anu, the sky god. And these, this was a culture that was tormented uh, by various invaders. And then the Assyrians somehow transferred themselves into one of the most violent and order-bringing uh, forces in the ancient Near East prior to the Babylonians. And the interesting thing is you, you see that on a kind of collective level, this will to power. And, you know, they did harsh, violent things in that time in line with the times they lived in. But they also created new cities, new roads, and they tried to elevate culture. Uh, so that has to be respected, too. So, yeah, I totally uh, the Zoroastrian concept I have a, a deep fondness for. Because um, even though it's dualistic, uh, there's elements, very like strong magical elements of self-empowerment there. And I think you can work with both in a balanced way. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing your presentation now in uh, Portland. I think this is going to be really great. So you're going to be playing music there too, right? Yeah, that was kind of a cool opportunity that was presented. So the band in Odd, I've been a fan of since the 90s. And I I think I first heard them on this record called Saturnosis that I got. And it's about the uh, Fraternus Saturni. uh, But they're doing a track. And actually, Dr. Flowers does The Fallen Angel um, from the founder it's a poem from the founder of the fraternus Saturni. i think his name was gregory gregorius um but he does an actual german rendition of that poem on this album so um i was approached hey do you want to perform with uh emma ya and i record stuff now we collaborate with uh edgar perval and uh so yeah it was a natural thing i so i recorded there's three parts to the uh, performance and it's a definitely a ritualistic uh, musical uh, concept. And so, yeah, I had to go for it. It was totally a, an opportunity I didn't want to miss, you know, just uh, being involved in that is great. That's awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and, and Edgar Kerval is great too. I had him on the show last week. And so I think it's just going to be, it's going to be a real blowout there in Portland. I'm really looking forward to this. It's just going to be, Really amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I want to tell you briefly, uh, like when you talk about meeting different left-hand path people and meeting them in person is totally different than just sending messages online. 
um, because you break down barriers that you might have or might be there. Um, one group was the uh, sect of the Horn God. <clears throat> I met uh, those two, and we got along really well. They were so cool. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to call them friends now. And I never had anything, you know, never had any bad interactions before I met Jake Block, um, who was a great guy. And, you know, I knew, yeah, but just meeting all these different people, um, you find the commonality and it's, it's kind of empowering and inspiring to be a part of. No, it is. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciated both of them and I really enjoy their uh, videos too on, on YouTube. Uh, as well as yours, but no, it's great. Like meeting all of those people there um, last year. It's like there is no substitute mm-hmm. for going and meeting people face to face. And there's this old idea that you know initiation, true initiation, passes mouth to ear, and that there is something that is exchanged, right? Like our 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 gatherings that we have. Um, offer something that is not available just purely through reading, you know, or, or exchanging online, as you, as you alluded to the, the exchanges online, there's, there's something that's not present for that. That is there when you go and and you meet people face to face and it's people that you have a common, a common aim, right? A general goal of, 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 of self, you know, self uh, improvement, self initiation, um, and, and, and that it's, it's established that that is like the, the purpose of this. It creates an environment in which, you know, something new can happen that just simply cannot happen in ordinary, ordinary life. Definitely. Definitely. It also, it, it makes you, uh, enhance who you are versus who you think you are. Uh, it makes you kind of balance it out and look at that. Uh, and ultimately can make you just a better person, you know, for yourself and for people around you, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait. It's going to be a good event. It's going to be wicked. It's going to be wicked. Cool, man. Yes. Yes. All right, my friend, do you have any final words for us? No, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's, it's great as always. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched these before and love them. And it's, yeah, it's great to, to talk to you about all these things. I appreciate it. Me too, man. I'm so glad to have you on and that we could have these conversations here in a, in a way that we can share with everyone else out there. So I'm going to look forward to seeing you in Portland. And yes. until then, I know we're both going to keep the dark fires burning. Sure.